everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 97 of the show, where we are getting closer to the big three digits, 100, which is kind of crazy. And then we are going to be done. Yep. That's all the comics they made. Marvel was a great time in the 60s. And sadly, my voice is already done. So if anybody's listening going, God, he sounds horrible. That's true. I do. But we're going to do it anyway, because it's fine. It just sounds weird. Yeah. Doesn't that's hurt, okay. Does it? No, it doesn't hurt at all. It just sounds weird. A frog crawled up and died in my throat was a couple it days ago. Was living in Tom Holland's mouth? Yes. That exact one. <laughs> stop kissing Tom Holland. <laughs> <laughs> well, who can stop that? Right? But, <laughs> that's okay. very relatable to tonight, actually. Actually, yeah, because we were starting with Spidey. We we're in June, <clears throat> June 8th of 1965. Going to um, maybe not, maybe, maybe not wrap up this month, this episode. We'll see how the timing goes. I think we can do it, but let's see. So we're June 8th, and we're talking about Amazing Spider-Man number 28. Um, And I get this one. It's called Cloaked in Darkness, Spidey Faces the Mystifying Menace of the Molten Molten Man. That's going to be hard to say. Also in this landmark issue, you won't want to miss Peter Parker's graduation. Yay. Um, Let's see. Written and edited by Love and... I'm sorry. Written and edited with Love and Care by Stan Lee. Plotted and drawn with Talent Rare. By Steve Ditko. I like that one. Lettered and bordered with a vacant stare by Sam Rosen. Um, okay, so it starts out with the principal chasing down Peter at school. And he tells Peter, hey, you know how you started that fight or whatever? Well, Flash came and told us that it wasn't your fault and they were picking on you. And so you're off the hook. And Peter's like, wow, for an enemy, he's pretty nice. Um he confronts Flash about that, and of course, Flash is a big old jerk and says, forget it, I didn't do it for you. I'm just not going to let any lame meatball take the rap for me. Um, so there was that. He also finds Liz Allen giving him the cold shoulder in the hallways. He can't seem to get her to open up or even look at him, and she takes off. So he's like, wow, that was weird. She's usually all over me. Anyway, if we recall correctly, he is between suits right now because the one he had he uh, used as a uh, distraction for this big robot that J. Jonah Jameson commissioned. Or actually just, you know, I don't even know. He didn't pay for it, did it? It was already there. Anyway, um, so he needs to get that back because the one he bought from the store shrunk and looked stupid. So the scientist who made what will someday be called the Spider Slayer, but isn't yet, the big robot, um, apparently just has an address and never got arrested or investigated or anything like that. So Peter just goes over to his house and says, Hey, remember me? I met you at the daily bugle. I just wanted to know, like, you know, had you made any improvements on that spider thing? Let me in your house so I can just snoop around. And he's like, come on in son. Sure. Take a look at it. And of course the spider thing is there and it immediately attacks him. And the doctor's like, wait, it would only attack you. If you were a spider, are you Spider-Man? And Peter's like, uh, no, I'm just actually carrying this jar of spiders, which he pulls out of his jacket and then thinks to himself, I'm really glad I bought this jar, brought this jar of spiders. So off the hook. Anyway, the scientist uh, has a knock on the door. He goes to answer it. And while he's doing that, Peter finds his costume in a box and he swaps it with the store-bought one. Um, the guy at the door, I don't know what his name is. I forget. But he works with the doctor whose name I also forget, or the scientist. Apparently, they created some sort of like liquid metal alloy, um, and they did it 
Dr. Erskine style, meaning no one wrote down how they did it. It's not duplicatable. And it's uh, in a jar. And the guy's like, I'm going to take this and sell it to the highest bidder. And the scientist robot inventor guy's like, no, don't do that. It's the only sample and we're going to use it for good. And so they start getting into a fist fight. And Peter's like, well, I should break this up, you know, in a nerdy way, not Spider-Man way. Uh, but he tries to do that. But the spider slayer grabs him while no one's looking. So while he's struggling with that... Um, the evil scientist or the evil partner knocks the scientist out and and as he's doing that he 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 loses his balance he falls guess what the jar cracks open and the mysterious metal alloy gets all over his skin and turns it well it looks gold to me but they all say it's molten so i'm going to believe that it's molten um he like is tripping out like, wow, what happened to me? And he walks away, doesn't notice Peter stuck in the spider slayer. Uh, Peter gets out by using his web shooter to press the power button off on one of the consoles. He then wakes up the dock and says, hey, why don't you give me that guy's address and I'll get the police for you. So he gets the address. Uh, meanwhile, uh, who will now be called Molten Man for the rest of the issue, is walking around stunned, kind of like the way Peter was when he got bit by a spider. And just like that, uh, a, a car almost hits him, but unlike Peter, instead of jumping out of the way, he punches the car, and the car crushes. So he finds out that he has superpowers. He throws the car up. He's all excited that he can be evil and mean. He goes around scaring a bunch of pedestrians and stuff, knocking signs over. Spider-Man chases after him, uh, meets him at the address that he got off the scientist, confronts him, says, you know, you should probably turn yourself in before you rack up uh, too much illegal activity. Uh, the guy's having none of it, though. He's like, no, I'm stronger than you. And immediately they start to get into a fight. And Spider-Man quickly finds out that no matter how hard he punches this guy, it doesn't hurt him. Um, and even though he's faster, occasionally the guy gets a good hit on him and it hurts because he's strong. So they get into a trade back and forth blow. Spider-Man mostly just trying to stay out of the way. They fall down some stairs um, and get into, end up in a cellar where... Spider-Man figures out, oh, I'll just break this light. There's like a single light lighting up this cellar. So he breaks it. Now the guy can't see, but Spider-Man has his spider sense. So he kind of uses that to figure out where the dude is. He twips up a really heavy-duty uh, web rope and wraps it around his ankles and then wraps another pair around his wrists. Um, Molten Man tries to rip them off but spider-man uses his own arms to keep them together just long enough for them and then like gets tossed around by molten man um as molten man tries to get free but eventually the web i guess after time gets harder and harder to the point where he can't escape anymore so spider-man leaves him hogtied in the corner and takes off and the police show up because they've been tracing his uh violence throughout new york's and they finally catch up to Molten Man and arrest him. Spider-Man leaves him there to be arrested. Um, then the rest of the issue, he gets home. He and Aunt May have a nice talk about his graduation. She's so proud of him. Uncle, Bren would, Uncle Ben would be proud of him. Um, he goes to the graduation, and he is one of two people, at least that I know of, to get a scholarship for uh, 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 wherever Empire they're going. State University. Empire State University, thank you. So one is Flash Thompson, who's going to get a sports scholarship, and the other is Peter, who gets a science scholarship. So guess what? Their lives are still going to be linked for the foreseeable future. But he's excited because he gets to go to college for free, which is good because they never have money. Um, he and Aunt May have another heart-to-heart. -heart. They still miss Uncle Ben. There's a lot of Uncle Ben talk in this one. Um, 
J. Jonah Jameson shows up. He makes a speech, I forget, to the graduating class. They all hate that because Peter is not alone and thinking he is a blowhard, I guess. All the kids think so. Um, he then introduces himself to Aunt May and convinces her that he's the greatest guy in the world, and she goes along with it. But mostly he's just kissing Aunt May's booty because he wants Peter to go back to selling him photos. Because if we recall last issue, he decided to stop doing that and going to J. Jonah Jameson's competitor. But, Jay, but Peter's not falling for it and thinks he's a jerk. And Anyway, he later confronts Liz... Um, and says, come on, tell me what's wrong. We've been friends forever. And she's like, listen, I didn't just like you. I had a freaking crush on you. I was like practically in love with you. And you're just always like into Betty or Mary Jane or pretty much anybody but me. And it's just getting to the point now that I've graduated where it's like, I can't just waste my life pining over someone who doesn't care about me at all. And then she leaves with her parents and he's like, wow, I have no idea what her problem is because I'm obtuse. Um, and then that's the end. Yeah, he walks home with uh, with uh, Aunt May and 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 what's her face Watson. Aunt watch Watson. a movie or something at home. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, they just leave and go home, and then it says next issue something bad's going to happen. The there's end. a good last panel though that we're going to talk about because there's a um, sort of a Ditko symbolic image of Flash and Liz parting mm-hmm. of the ways. How they're like backs are to each other as they both go forward in their lives. Talk yeah, about that a few, talk about that in a few minutes because. Um, I really like the cover of this one. Uh-huh. Um, it's definitely I've been, interesting. Yeah, I've always preferred black and red Spider-Man over blue and red Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, but just with the color being predominantly black and then using the red light effect for Spidey and then the yellow glow effect for the Molten Man is pretty great. And the black parts like disappear into the black background, so mm-hmm. there's no yeah. real definition of his body. It's pretty cool. Okay, Molten so you Man! Probably- I've heard of him. I've heard of him. The Molten he Man. He comes back a lot. He, yeah. uh, whenever you and I were getting into it, he was actually a recurring character in the Spider-Man books. Because he eventually, we, we find out that he's related to somebody and uh-huh. he becomes a decent individual. Yeah. I don't know if it's worth keeping it a secret. Go ahead. Because I don't he, remember. Uh, he is Liz Allen's stepbrother. Oh. Wow. I really don't remember that. Okay. Yeah. And I don't know... I'm sure that wasn't planned here, right? <laughs> no, no, no. Not planned here. I don't think that this particular story with Liz being upset and Mark Raxton being her stepbrother, that this is connected to that. Mm-hmm. I think it's more coincidental. But later on, whenever Liz is back in the books, which is a long way down the road, mm-hmm. and Multiman comes back, they re- uh, reveal that they are step-siblings. So in the late 80s going to the early 90s, Mold Man's trying to do the uh, live or good life kind of thing and is actually living with his stepsister. So do they ever retcon this issue and say that part of Liz Allen's upsetness is because of Molten Man or no? I don't know. I don't remember if, if they do redress why she's upset here. I kind of read it as she was sort of the queen of her country and now life is changing and she's a little bit emotionally adrift. Yeah, I don't think she needs to be upset about Molten Man for this to work. It totally works yeah. for why she's upset. Uh, did, you ever, um, did you ever read the book King Rat? No. Have you heard of Shogun, big book about Japan that got made into a 12-episode TV show? Yeah. Yep. Okay, so the same guy who wrote Shogun wrote several books about Asia and different parts of history. And King Rat was um, a Japanese POW camp, which mm-hmm. is to say 
a POW camp in Japan of American prisoners during World War II. And uh, without going into too much detail, basically the main character that the book is named for uh, has learned to work the system mm-hmm. and is basically king of his little pile in the story. They call him the King Rat. Mm-hmm. And it's great until the war is over mm. and everyone leaves the prison and has to go back to regular life. Right. And like this power structure that he has built for himself means nothing. Right. And I kind of just had that same vibe here. It's a really weird connection, Liz Allen, King Rat. But I just had a really similar vibe here that like whatever's going on with Liz, everything she's been doing in, in high school is going away and she might just mm-hmm. not really have a good idea what's going to happen next. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, high school is all about cliques and social structure and all that stuff. So, that, And none of that means anything once graduation's over. Right. Really. And she's wasted a lot of time on Peter. <laughs> we know that. And we thought, like, maybe it was just fun and games for her, but now it's turning out it was a little more serious, and and uh, uh, he just didn't recognize that or didn't care. Mm-hmm. And also, the only person who is interested in him is Flash, which she doesn't like and continues to not like. So, And I guess we'll go ahead and talk about it now. You know, she sort of tells off Flash at the beginning of this issue. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, Flash has nothing to do with her. We yeah. never see them looking at each other again. Yeah. And he's going off to college. He's got a football scholarship. He's got his way paved and she doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so I see that last panel in the book as them going their separate ways. He's going forward with his life and she's just not kind of sure what her life has next. And I thought it was a really great symbology of the of the rift between them that I had never really picked up on until this reading. Well, let's hope Frank Miller never gets a hold of her because he'll make her a hooker. That's for sure. <laughs> no, she marries the Green Goblin instead. <laughs> oh, that's better. <laughs> uh, oh, oh my shit. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. You know what she did? Hmm. I This is one of the last new Spider-Man comics I read. Mm-hmm. Did you read Spider-Man 2099? A little bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the big company that he works for in the future, mm-hmm. Liz Allen starts that company. Mm-hmm. In the current Spider-Man books, a wow. handful of years ago, she started that company. So, Who knew? Uh, yeah, um, I remember reading that, going, because <gasps> that was around the time they had brought Miguel O'Hara into the present day. So they were doing Spider-Man twenty ninety nine stories, but in the present day, mm-hmm. and um, and yeah. So they were they were tying some things together there. Well, that's a real shame if we don't see her again for a while because I got to say, like in this issue, she's almost more interesting than she's ever been. Mm-hmm. So I mean, she's mostly just been like an excuse for Betty to be annoyed, right? Um, but now she actually has a human emotion, and you feel sorry for her, kind of. And it's like, wow, I want to see a follow up. I want to see what she does tomorrow. She well. has been mainly one note and getting, you know, another note from her. You're right. Does make her more interesting, but yeah, mm-hmm. we're going to, we're going to pass her in the streets in a, in a couple of issues. And then she's out of the book for years. Mm. Um, oh. I forget when she comes back, but it's, it's it, if it's, if it's in the sixties, it's very late sixties. I want to say it's in the seventies sometime. Okay. But anyways, um, so Molt man was like, Okay, it was kind of, it felt like a little slap together and a little easy, but at the same time, I don't think he was the point of this issue all that much. Right. So it's like, we need a villain. Let's just do one real fast and get it out of the way and so we can get to the good stuff. This um, feels like it's a, a superhero fight because it has to be a superhero fight. Right. And that actually detracts from the book. 
It almost like you didn't even need him. It would have been better just to have an entire graduation issue. Yeah. This is one of the issues I was thinking of when I was thinking about the book starting to go a little bit downhill is like 28 is a bit of a slog to read. Mm-hmm. The fight scene goes a bit overlong um, and it's not really that interesting. I like the Molten Man as a character, uh-huh. but I have to call shenanigans on his name. Me too. Shouldn't he just be called like Gold Man or something? Gold Man, Liquid Metal Dude, something. Molten means you have melted the metal. They have created a metal that is liquid at room temperature, like mercury, which Uh kudos to them. Mercury has a lot of solid industrial uses. And if their liquid metal alloy that they've created is, you know, non-reactive and stable, then they could probably, yes, make a lot of money off of the formula. Mm -hmm. Um but then it pours all over Raxton, and now, you know, with the metal infused in his tissues, he's stronger and tougher, but he's not molten. No. And here's the weird thing. Uh-huh. Since molten implies it's been melted, and since melted metal is hot, yeah. later artists give him a heat effect. Oh, which makes and no sense. Which makes no sense based on this origin. I get the feeling he's not the brains of the operation either, but then they don't really say what he brought to the table. Maybe it was money. I don't know anything about this guy. Maybe we learn later. Uh, He was just an assistant in the lab. I have a feeling he just, Mm. maybe just one of those guys who gets a job. He's like Cobra. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He just was hanging around. Um, Weirdly in the origin, he gets blasted with some energy while the metal is pouring over him and the script never mentions it. That would have been a good thing to mention maybe so that we don't just assume that every time you pour this liquid on somebody that happens. Right. You know, you usually have some sort of catalyst, some sort of something in the mix to give you an X factor effect. Something that doesn't, can't be duplicated because it was an accident. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And also just as far as Ditko goes, his bar is so high for interesting villains. This seems like sort of a no brainer, like not Mm -hmm. particularly clever in any way. Like doesn't have that disco esque quality to him. Really? He's a gold dude. That's strong. He's, He's a gold dude. He has basically been turned into, you know, metal-infused walking guy. So he he can't be hurt because he has metal on his skin and he can beat stuff up. Because, I mean, you could probably hit a car hard enough to dent it. You would just hurt your hand. Yeah. But he won't hurt his hand because he has metal in his hand. Well, he also flips it. Yeah, that too. Do you think they just were watching Goldfinger and were like, hey, there's an idea? Oh, uh, yeah. That's exactly yeah. what happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. We need to talk about this whole seniors leaving early thing. Okay. Because the teacher sends the seniors home early to go get ready for graduation. Mm -hmm. Do you remember how much school did you get to miss as a senior? Well, I always got a free period in the end of my my last semester, I think. So I was going home early anyway. Okay. Yeah. My either last year or last semester, my free period was the first period of the day. So I got to come in Uh, late every day. Okay. And that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, My daughter, Lily, she goes to a school that is an AP program. Mm. So the vast majority of her classes, including all of her core classes, are AP classes. They prepare you for the AP test. And then you take the AP test. And um, once she's done with AP tests, she doesn't have to go to school. Wow. So from like mid-April, early May until the end of May, early June... Uh-huh. She doesn't have to go to school, which is weird. It's not yeah. the way Texas did it. No, no. We definitely didn't have that, though I do recall 
school mattering less and less the closer you got to graduation. But we were still yeah. going. We just weren't doing anything interesting. <laughs> well, in Texas, funding laws is based on daily attendance. Right, exactly. So Here they too. want those kids to stay there. They don't want kids you know, skipping out the last few weeks of school. Yeah. Um, let's see. I don't think I have... Well, I liked, the, I liked that they mentioned Uncle Ben multiple times because we've commented that they don't talk about Uncle Ben nearly as much as people assume they do in these early Spider-Man right. comics. So I liked that this, you know, a big graduation and a life-changing event at least brings up his name and they can have a shared sad moment about it. That was kind of touching. It's kind of like how the modern Spider-Man movies don't talk about Uncle Ben very much. These comics don't talk about Uncle Ben very much. Right. But they did here with graduation. You know, it's just one of those things. It's like, yeah. you know... He would be proud of you. That's one of those things you want to say to your to your not son, but son figure in your life. That was one of my favorite moments in the Tobey Maguire movie is like when after the graduation, he's in his room, like kind of just teary eyed, missing his uncle and wishing he could have been there. You know, that's good stuff. Right, right, right. So, um, J. Jonah Jameson's hilarious in this. Just trying to be a big kiss butt. And I love how yes. Aunt May totally falls for it. And he's actually, Jonah has actually seen May before, but only from a distance. He saw yeah. her get abducted with Betty Brant in the first annual. Yeah, he technically tried to help save her, sort of. But. Yeah, but this is the first time for them to actually meet. Yeah. So did you want to talk about this last panel, or did we already do we, that? I we, already, we already did. Okay. Um, the only other thing I was going to say is that it's pretty cool that their high school actually pays scholarships. Yeah. Um. And this ties all the way back to Amazing Fantasy 15, the first Spider-Man story where his teacher says, you keep this up, Peter, and you're liable to get a scholarship. And here he has it. His his school gave it to him. I also like how these early issues, like, time actually passes. Yeah. So I know they kind of put a kibosh on that eventually, and he stays perpetually 30 or whatever. But we've only been reading this for 28 issues, and he's graduated high school. And that was one of the things about Marvel that, you know, at first they weren't sure whether they were going to do, but fans are really clamoring. Fans wanted, you know, people to get older for time to pass for life to happen. If you have a character who's in school, he needs to go through school, not just perpetually be in school. And this was one of the things that set Marvel apart from DC. I'm not going to say better or worse. That's up to the individual preference. But mm -hmm. one of the different things about Marvel and DC is that DC had a status quo that like a sitcom, it was always the same. Right. Way down the road, like way down the road, Robin started to be treated like an older teen, independent person instead of a child or young teen. But it took, you know, 40 years <laughs> to get to that point. Not just a status quo, but even like in a lot of ways, every character was the same kind of formula. Like you had the girl who... Loved the superhero, but not the identity. You had a you had a sidekick. You had a, a one weakness or something like that. You know, I don't know. It mm -hmm. just seemed like very formulaic. But that doesn't mean bad because that kind of makes mythology sometimes too. So it does. It does. It sets up the rules that people expect to be followed. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Spider Man twenty eight. I don't love this issue, but I do think it has a lot of small things in it that are pretty great. I liked all the stuff around the stuff that's promised on the cover basically. Yeah. I mean, not that Molten Man was bad. I enjoyed the fight. It wasn't like a chore for me to read through or anything. It was fun, but it just didn't matter. And it felt mm -hmm. like it didn't matter. It was so just like tacked on kind of. So. All right. Well, should we go on to something stranger? Strange tales. Well, he's not that strange though. Well, one of them is. Yeah. Yeah. The doctor is. The doctor is. Strange tales. 136. Mm -hmm. The first story in it is find fury 
or die. Mm-hmm. Script by the unpredictable Stan Lee. Layouts by the unmatchable Jack Kirby. And introducing the latest talented returnee to Mighty Marvel. Actually, wouldn't he be the returner? Because he's returning, not being returned. Did somebody turn him in? Huh, good point. Back from the golden age of comics to the magnificent modern Marvel age, because Silver Age doesn't exist right now, we proudly present that sensational stylist, art by the unbeatable Johnny Severin. Would it lettering return by the just unsinkable Artie Simic. Huh? Would it just saying return be easier? Yeah, the latest talented return. To Mighty Marvel. I don't yeah. Know. They were being overcomplicated there. Maybe, maybe a bit. Um, Johnny Severin, like they said, has been working since the Golden Age. His younger sister, Marie Severin, has been working with him for a while, and she'll become um, a pretty accomplished artist in her own right. I think possibly getting higher accolades than her brother does. Did we but, talk about him already? No, this is his first credit for us. Okay. So, do we know what he did in the Golden Age? Because I, um, I don't recognize his name. Yeah, I don't either. He okay. he's been doing comics for over fifteen years. Okay, he's going to do three issues of this book and then go away for a while. But then later down the road, he becomes the steady inker on Sergeant Fury. Okay, but his better his his younger sister is better known, and she, I believe, is going to be the regular artist on the Hulk after Kirby leaves. Marie Severin. Okay, but anyways, um, okay. So people are trying to kill Nick Fury. And by people, I mean Hydra. And Nick Fury is walking down the street in suit and hat and jacket over one shoulder. Uh, He's got his cigar. He looks, you know, very like typical business suit establishment dude. And there are people all over. Like there's somebody on scaffolding. There's somebody on a gargoyle. There's a person paying, uh, selling newspapers. And they're all like, eyeballing Nick Fury to kill him. So Nick Fury realizes that he's being watched and he ducks into a barber shop and he tells the people in the barber shop, Hey, you know, I like to get the works done today. And they realize that the works means that he's in big trouble. He, uh, um, slips his hat to the person who's ready to shine his shoes. And in the hat is a note that the next two customers are from Hydra use caution. So mm-hmm. it's the sort of a little thing they have with, you know, communications at Hydra headquarters, Supreme Hydra and his cat Panther, <laughs> whatever that is, um, tells one of his chief lieutenants that this is his big chance to take out Nick Fury and his life is on the line. So bald dude is out to get Nick Fury. He sends Hydra agents to go get him. A couple of customers walk into the barber shop. And uh, they have traps rigged in the barbershop. One person gets sat down to shine his shoes and manacles come out. The person chatting up the uh, nail polish woman is uh, also trapped to his desk. Nick Fury flashes forget me, uh, you know, rays on their eyes. (laughs) And whenever Hydra shows up, they make it look like the place has been shot up and all the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents are dead. So Hydra leaves thinking that everybody's dead and that Fury is, and it's not even shield headquarters. Oh, that's right. Nick Fury, whenever he blasts them, he gives them a different information. This isn't shield headquarters. Shield headquarters is really that, um, warehouse down the street. So when Hydra leaves, Nick takes his barbershop chair into the floor, down to the underground shield establishment. Hydra raids the warehouse down the street, but shield has set a trap for them. 
and S.H.I.E.L.D. basically beats HYDRA. There's some shenanigans with the, how they beat HYDRA, and the bald dude who's in charge of the entire mission um, is punished by HYDRA. He is surrounded by a bunch of agents who are all armed, except for his replacement, who is not. Uh, bald dude looks at all the Shield uh, HYDRA guys. He's like, okay, they all have pads for gun holsters under their arm. <gasps> oh, except that guy. He must be the one. I'll get him. But turns out that guy really was armed. He had his gun in his hand. So he shoots down bald dude and becomes the new chief lieutenant of Supreme Hydra. And Nick Fury's like, all right, you know, Hydra's going to get us. We got to take him down. Only thing stopping Hydra is shield. And next issue, the most incredible plan to take over all of the earth from Hydra and shield strikes back. Someday I want to read about a villain who's like, hey, Minion, you failed. It's cool, though. I mean, killing Superman is pretty hard. I don't know why we expected you to be able to just do that. We can't do that, so <laughs> we'll just try again, okay, guy? But instead, they it's just like, shoot him um, in the face. The first time that Spidey tries to join the Avengers, uh-huh. his test is to bring in the Hulk. Oh, right, because they can do that. Right, right, right. So, you know, Spidey obviously doesn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like, is it really fair that this guy... Gets killed because he failed to find S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters. Nobody can do it. Anyway. The uh, splash page is pretty great. It reminds me of that um, that Punisher cover of Spider-Man. Uh, where Pun- uh, Spider-Man's like in Punisher's sights on the cover. Oh, yeah, yeah. It is pretty cool. Um, so this guy, I looked it up while you were doing the summary. He mostly did like a lot of EC work, which isn't Marvel. Okay. But the Marvel he did do was a lot of Westerns and the only ones that really... St- Stuck out to me was Two Gun Kid in the late fifties. Oh yeah. Uh, so yeah, he's a Western guy, and then because he didn't start till like nineteen forty eight, so he probably missed out on all the superhero stuff initially. Yeah, by nineteen forty eight, it was almost all completely done. Yeah, you had a lot of funny animals taking over the shelves by then. But I think he did a good job. I like his art; it's cool. I really do too. I think he does a really good job on Kirby. Uh, he has a bit of a heavy hand on Kirby, but Kirby. Uh, it just said, it says layouts. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, he kind I of- imagine Kirby, Kirby, Kirby probably drew that gun on the first page. Oh yeah. And the face. It's a, yeah. It's a very Kirby tech gun. But after that, I mean, this could, this could easily be just, you know, somebody else drawing. Yeah. It's a little more like kind of gritty and noir, which is good for this. Yeah. This theme, I, I think. I enjoyed the heck out of this little chapter. Uh huh. Um, very bond, very, very bond. Yeah. The only problem with the concept here is that Hydra is out to get Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. And Hydra has been out to get Nick Fury for both of these chapters. Mm-hmm. Hydra has not yet done anything threatening as far as being a global terrorist organization out to rule the world. No. My only real criticism of this story is it was a little repetitive in the end. Like, we've already seen the what happens when you fail thing. Right. And the initiation and the arms salute thing and like last issue the first female was introduced and then we don't see her which was kind of disappointing too i didn't know if right we will see more of her but yeah she's not yeah, in this one she just is gone so that was kind of weird um okay just to call attention to it because it's so rare mm-hmm. the man in the barber shop who takes fury's hat mm-hmm. the who is who is ready to shine shoes mm-hmm. uh he is one of our few black characters um, who has had lines and, you know, yeah. Fury, pa- Fury passes him the note telling them that Hydra's on, uh, that Hydra's on Fury's tail. 
and he's there and one of the agents that helps take the Hydra people down. So he's a fully functioning member of this team mm-hmm. and he's a black guy. <gasps> yeah. But he's not colored gray. Yeah. He color, he's color. Is this like the first time a black guy has been colored I, correctly? I think this is our first time where we've had, you know, natural ish skin tones for yeah. a black guy. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Whoa. Cause I, I was thinking about it when we did our last Sergeant Fury issue about how Gabe Jones was still gray in that issue. Mm-hmm. But this guy's not. So they're starting to figure it out. They're figuring 1965, it out. 1965, June. But, you know. <laughs> well, takes a while to find the right color code sometimes. I guess. I guess. Uh, um, of course, the uh, whole barbershop thing in general is a, is a major S.H.I.E.L.D. classic trope thing. So here we go. Introduced for the yeah. first time. But this lasts forever. Yeah, I, I honestly don't even know where else I've seen it, but it's in my brain as being a major S.H.I.E.L.D. thing. And Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. actually uh, used it for a few episodes towards the back of the first season. I've, um, I've definitely seen it in like 80s Cap comics when he wants to go find Nick. He comes to this kind of place. Oh, uh, okay. Because okay. he knows about it, you know, because like, he's obviously in on it. So things like that, 80s, 90s, at least last up to the 90s. I don't know if they still do it, but. The one, the one story point that I wasn't sure about is after, after the Hydra agents are tricked mm-hmm. and they leave, mm-hmm. the S.H.I.E.L.D. people in the barbershop start remaking the storefront as a hardware store. Oh. And I'm not entirely sure why. Like, a I store didn't... is a store. You can't just change the storefront. People are going to notice. It's a business. Yeah. That actually would be bad. And yeah, because any agent worth their salt will be able to remember where the barbershop was the fact that it's not there anymore would actually increase suspicion, not deter it. So I don't really know what the goal was here. Maybe they put a sign up, the barbershop's out of business due to Hydra agents trashing the place. <laughs> That's then, exactly what happened. And then the hardware store takes over. But yeah, this was fun. Yeah, it was really I fun. I don't really have a whole lot else to say about it. Mm-hmm. You? Nope, but it was fun. It was fun. Sergeant Fury, Agent of... Sergeant Fury. Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. is so far a success. Speaking of successes, we have Doctor Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts. What lurks beneath the mask? Mm-hmm. He looks way different on this splash page. <laughs> he does. The splash page has a very animalistic face on, Sar- on Sar- Doctor Strange. We're going to find out why as we go through this. Um, we're going to have to talk about this, but there's a badge on here that says this series was voted most likely to succeed. Mm, by Stanley. By Stanley and Baron Mordo. So that's um, sarcasm? I think it's a dig. I think it's a dig that I think that Ditko probably did not appreciate. I do too. That's what I, that's how I took it when I read it. Um, yeah, yeah. So edited and written by mystical, magical Stan Lee plotted and illustrated by weird, wondrous Steve Ditko lettered and bordered by lovable, laughable Artie Simic follow the world's strangest hero as he continues to search for the deadly secret locked within the word eternity where does stanley show up in the doctor strange movie i don't know why that just popped in my head now but it's like do you think he was tripping that this series he hates got a major blockbuster movie (laughs) i don't even know how much he hates the series versus just not wanting to do it yeah or like i don't know i don't know i don't know either his and dicko's relationship is is shrouded in some mystery all i know is oh yeah lots of and and by by this point they're Either they're not talking or they're barely communicating. And unfortunately, the only side we ever hear is Stan's. And Stan is very, like, amicable about how he describes 
their relationship often. Mm -hmm. So we don't hear like how he really was, if he really was bad or, you know, we don't get Ditko's side. So, oh, well. And just looking up Stanley cameo, Dr. Strange. And it looks like he's on a bus. Oh. um, During a city fight. Dr. Strange is like outside the window of the bus or something like that. Oh, okay. Um, there's a there's a Washington Post article why Doctor Strange isn't Stan Lee's favorite cameo. Oh, fun. Maybe that's why. Yeah, yeah. Um, huh. I have to read that. Anyways, okay. So I was gonna read the article, but I can't do that. We're podcasting. Um, we open on our mysterious unnamed woman in the uh, dark dimension, worried that she's going to be discovered by Dormammu for having helped Doctor Strange. And then the mysterious unnamed woman in the dark dimension is discovered by Dormammu for having helped Doctor Strange. <laughs> Good call. And, and he imprisons her in a Superman the movie uh, pane of window glass. And she's trapped and she flies away into the phantom zone or something like that. No, she's, she's trapped in some energy. Um, then Dormam is talking to Baron Mordo on Skype and Mordo's like, uh, you know, I'll succeed. I won't fail. Uh, Dormammu freaks out whenever Mordo mentions that Dr. Strange is looking for eternity. You have to stop him. You must not find it. It could destroy all my future plans. So yeah, Dr. Strange has to be destroyed. So Baron Mordo talks to the mustache dude we've seen before and contacts all the mystical people all over the world. Whoever sees Dr. Strange must inform him immediately or suffer his deadly wrath. Now, Dr. Strange is trying to figure out about eternity. So he is going to all of the friends of his and of the ancient ones that he knows about. He's basically going house to house trying to find out about eternity. And nobody says... Well, I know what eternity is, but I don't know what you mean. It's like a capital E. Like no one in this entire story says, yes, eternity is a very normal word. Uh-huh. What are you asking? Right. And it bothers me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyways. So um, Dr. Strange does realize that agents of Mordo are after him. So he is trying to do all this discreetly. He's wearing a suit and hat rather than his Dr. Strange clothes. Finally, in a dank, shadowy cave in a section of the Far East where few Occidentals, a.k.a. Westerns, have ever dared venture, he finds an old, wizened dude and says, Have you heard about Eternity? Eternity! Of course! This is like old man McGucket from Gravity Falls. Uh, he's like, I know what gra- I know what eternity is. No one else knows. I'm the only one left who knows. There's one other one who knows. He's the ancient one. He tried to erase the secret, but I remember it. He's going to go, I have a scroll that tells you all about um, eternity. I'm going to go get it. Here it is. Here's a scroll. Read it. And Dr. Strange's like, cool. I'm going to go read it. He reads it, and this gate opens up. He's like, huh, a gateway. I don't know where this is to, but... It must be to eternity. I've got to go through. It was a trap. The scroll was a lie. And um, I think it was a lie. Well, it was to take him to a place called Eternal Doom, not Eternity. So either the old guy was mean or just dementia. So Mordo tried. Mordo sees Doctor Strange just as he's reading the scroll. He tries to teleport to capture Doctor Strange, but Doctor Strange is already going through the gateway when he shows up, so he misses him. But Doctor Strange is in this other dimension. He finds this guy uh, manacled to a wall with a, a, a metal strap over his eyes, saying, "The demon tricked me. Um, if you're not the demon, remove the mask." 
you know, free me from this place. And um, Doctor Strange is like, fine, I'll remove the mask. He's like, ha, 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 I'm the demon. And by matching eyes with you, I can take over your body and switch places with you. So he does. And now Doctor Strange is trapped in the um, manacles and the demon is standing there in Doctor Strange's clothes, like the uh, cover. The demon starts putting Play-Doh over Doctor Strange's face to cover him until he dies, I guess. Mm-hmm. And Doctor Strange's like, oh, I'm going to die, but I can beat this if I just summon my cloak. And his cloak comes and uh, fights the demon, beats him up, and breaks the Play-Doh off of Doctor Strange's face. And then they trade bodies again. Doctor Strange gets away from the demon. And... um I think he goes back to where the ancient one is comatose Mm -hmm. and says, okay, I've tried every other means at my disposal and I have had no success finding eternity. I have to go into the ancient one's mind himself and wrest the secret from his mind. Otherwise we're not going to survive. So. (sighs) Yep. I like this one. The story's getting long in the tooth, but this one in particular wasn't, as repetitive as some of the other ones. so Right, I was doing something different. I do yeah. agree that this goes a bit long without feeling like there's a purpose. Right. There has definitely been some padding that we've, you know, shuffled through. But this one was a little cooler because I like that unnamed girl shows up again and is imprisoned. Hopefully he'll have an opportunity to save her at some point. Um, um, I like all these dudes that he meets. I hope... That someday they have a bigger identity. I'm not saying they will. Yeah, but that would be cool if they did. It would be cool if they did. I have a feeling it just kind of gives the uh, gives the impression that there's there's just a larger magical culture out there yeah, that we don't see. This one lady in particular is like, "Oh, you saved my life many years ago, so I'm here to repay you." And then it says, "Remind us to tell you about that tale sometime." It says that in the caption. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, now you better tell me about that tale. <laughs> but I don't know if they will. I don't think they do actually. I, I, um, Dang it. You know those like those early issues where he was just like saving random people every time by like mm-hmm. going into their dreams and whatever. Uh-huh. I feel like this is just like one of those things. Yeah, but he went to her to ask about eternity, so she must be some sort of magic person, right? She must be something. Yeah. Um, old man McGucket has these two beards that come out of the corners of his chin. I think they're fun. I like them. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's definitely a character I'd like to see again, but probably won't. So Doctor Strange was a little doofy in this because it's like, oh, I should have read that scroll a little harder before I mm-hmm. went through the thing. And then he's also like, oh, I shouldn't have taken this thing off this random stranger's face that maybe is on there for a reason. But that's okay. He got out of it. Well, when he when he reads that scroll, I thought, you know, wow, you shouldn't go in that random door that just opened. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, no, it's it's okay. It's from the Eternity Scroll. It should be fine. Yeah. But then we find out, nope, our first instincts were right. This was a bad place to go. Yep. Okay. Interesting choice of words on Stan Lee's part. Could just be an unthinking choice of words. But on page five, that same page where the door opens up, mm-hmm. the second row, that the, you know, Doctor Strange panel with feverish, breathless anticipation the master of the mystic arts changes to his necromancer's raiment. Uh-huh. Necromancy is death magic. Mm. Necromancy is usually in realms of fantasy and in worlds where magic is, you know, a thing. Necromancy is usually considered dark and dangerous. Right. So, so maybe I think it's that- interesting that he's, he's a, you know, death magic is part of his thing. Or at least part of his thing to read this scroll. Maybe that should have been a clue, but. Oh yeah, actually. Yeah. Um, I like the guy. 
I thought it was kind of interesting, very Ditko, very uh, yeah, Ditkoe in style and the way the bodies transfer. And that was kind of mm-hmm. fun. That was kind of cool. Definitely. And Cloak goes after the demon. Yeah, that was fun too. I mean, it's not like a puppy like it is in the movie. No, he's controlling it. Yeah, he's controlling it, but it has the same like visual aesthetic. Yeah, that is pretty cool. I like that he could use the cloak because they were all like looking. One of the elements of this plot was they're they're somehow monitoring all of Earth, and anytime someone uses a spell, they'll know about it. So mm-hmm. he's just using his cloak to fly around because that's not a spell. I don't know. I think that's a cool little tool. And um, okay. I wrote down in my notes that there are two jabs at Doctor Strange from Stan Lee in this, but I don't know what the second one was. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure what it would have been. But yeah, just the fact that, you know, Follow. we already mentioned that Lee, Lee is not being nice to Ditko, and it's it's kind of annoying. Follow the world's strangest hero? I mean, that could just be because he's Doctor Strange, but... Yeah, I don't know if I was looking at the uh, the next issue box where it says... Uh, our few words about our next great-ish. Nick Fury and his amazing agents face one of the greatest threats the world has ever known as Hydra launches its first major attack against civilization. No matter how spectacular you expect it to be, it'll be even better. We know. We just drew it. So do yourself a favor and don't let Doctor Strange be lonely. Join us again next-ish. Hmm. So the next issue box is all about come see Sergeant Fury. I'm sorry. Come, I keep calling that. Come see Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, otherwise, Doctor Strange is going to be sitting here all by himself. Oh, that does sound kind of slighty. It does. Yeah. I don't know if that's what I was thinking of when I wrote that, but there it is. Oh, Stan. Stan, why are you so mean? But that's um, that's Strange Tales. All right. So we move on to a different kind of tales, more suspenseful. Yeah. Two more stories. <clears throat> Let's go. Tales of Suspense featuring Iron Man and Captain America, number 69. Ooh. Nice. <laughs> We're so pathetic. Okay. Uh, The first story, if I must die, let it be with honor. Introducing the monstrous menace of the mind-staggering Titanium Man. Story by Stan Lee, the idol of millions. Art by Don Heck, the toast of the continents. Inking by V. Coletta, the pride of the bullpen. Lettering by Sam Rosen, the last angry letterer. (laughs) Um, And it starts with Iron Man in his armor, minus his helmet, and he's working on something called the Some Miniature Reverser. And he gets in. I don't think they ever follow up on what that even is. But he uh, maybe it'll play out later. So put a pin in that, kids. He, uh, meanwhile, gets interrupted because his, his you know, juicer stops working. And so he has like to plug in. squeezes his oranges? <laughs> the thing that squeezes his heart back and forth, I guess. And, and really rubs the shrapnel inside of the heart meat. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, <laughs> massage that shrapnel <laughs> yeah it like it uh it goes hinky on him so he has to plug in at some point in the story he comments about how it hasn't been working that well lately and he hasn't figured out why so that's not been great um but he does manage to charge and not die he puts the the miniature resistor thing aside for later reverser aside for later um uh, he interrupts happy asking uh pepper if she wants to go out she says heck yes but then she also asks if Tony wants to go, and Happy's like, doe. Uh, we cut to Russia, to a communist work camp that's recently been taken over by a new commissar named Bolsky. Apparently, Bolsky's so annoying or so threatening, depending on whose side of the story you want to listen to, that he's been assigned here. And he doesn't like that because it's kind of the middle of nowhere, and he's not going to get any recognition. He's a big 
hairy bear of a Russian guy. And he's mean because he treats all the workers bad. But one day he's like, I got to get out of this. This isn't good for me. I want to keep going to the top. What can I do? I know what I can do. Get me the four greatest scientists at this prison. And he calls them over. He says, listen, I will free you guys if you can make me armor that will destroy the greatest hero for American democracy, Captain America. I mean, Iron Man. And they're like, okay, sure, we can do that. So then they watch a bunch of Iron Man footage. And they're like, listen, we can't really duplicate Tony Stark's awesome transistory powers. But we can make this armor so big that you can function on this kind of more bulkier transistor. And also you'll be stronger because titanium is stronger than iron. And the guy's like, yeah, I like all those things. I like to be big and bare and strong. So they do it. They make this big, giant green armor. And he's able to like kind of move it manually on his own because he's so big and strong and Russian. And he gets in there and he fantasizes about how he's going to beat up Iron Man. Um, he also tells the soldier to, uh, you know... Have those four scientists put into another, ship them off to another prison somewhere where they'll never be able to duplicate. I was just lying about the whole freedom thing. So he's a real big, meanie jerk. Um, anyway, cut back and Tony gets a letter from Bolsky. Actually, Iron Man gets a letter that Tony has to read. And it's like, I challenge you to a fight. But not only does he do that, he publishes it in all the papers. So now everybody knows that this titanium Russian guy wants to fight Iron Man. So, I, so Tony's kind of like, oh, I guess I. To be a patriot, I kind of have to fight him. It cuts to Senator Byrd, who's like, I bet that wuss bag isn't going to fight him because I hate Iron Man and Tony. Um, Tony figures out a way to temporarily fix or reinforce his his heart juicer, his chest device. So he's happy about that. He's all glowy and strong and stuff. Um, they set up the fight. I think it's like at a fake place. I can't remember what they call it, but it's kind of a... It's kind of a neutral, like, Danish territory or something like that. So they're all getting together. Um, Tony, Pepper, and and Happy go. There's, like, a gala. Everybody's, like, socializing. And we're introduced to a lady named Stephanie La Sperosa. So I assume she's Italian or something like that. Anyway, Tony knows her. And not only does he know her... She seems like kind of smitten with him and she offers to take him out. And he's like, actually, I can't tonight. I got to get to sleep early, which really means he's Iron Man and he has to fight tomorrow. After he leaves, she gets all like crazy evil and has this thought bubble about how like he's jilted her once before. And now that he's done it again and she will make him pay. And then she rips her face off and there's like a robot underneath. I made up that part. Uh, she's just a woman as far as I know. Anyway, it cuts to the fight and there's a fight. Uh, Iron Man's quick, which shocks Titanium Man. But then Titanium Man has this magnet in his hand, and it pulls Iron Man in. And he starts throwing him around, which scares Iron Man because he's so strong. So Iron Man flies away right into a minefield that those mean, cheating Russians set up, which makes everybody gasp. And then it's over. And we have to wait till next issue. Yeah, a bit of a cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. So this cover stands out in my brain for some reason. Uh-huh. It's pretty classic. I, it is classic. It is very classic. And like, you know, early Iron Man mm -hmm. is weird, you know, with Jack Frost and the gargantuan guy and mm -hmm. all this stuff. But this cover feels like, okay, you have now entered real Iron Man stories, you know? Yeah. Well, Titanium Man is definitely like one of his big villains, isn't he? Right. Yeah, that, I, I think so. 
I mean, um, Crimson Dynamos maybe a little bit more, but Titanium Man is like a good replacement, I guess. Right, right. So it's pretty cool to have to have that going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at the cover, who would you say that woman was underneath his leg? That's the new girl. But looking at the cover, uh-huh. who would you say it was? That new girl. But if you haven't read the story yet. Well, if I haven't read the story, I wouldn't know. But it's a black-haired lady with Italian-looking outfit on. I was thinking she was the Black Widow when oh, we were going into this. Yeah. And then I was looking at the story and I was thinking, this feels like it was made to be a Black Widow story and then changed. You know what? That could have supposedly been the Black Widow. You know, she's she's oh, she's blonde, so they did they they changed the coloring or whatever. Mm. I mean, she's not blonde. That's no, in the affair. She's brunette. Yeah, she's brunette. But yeah, all of that art, I mean, that could be Natasha. Wow. Totally. Because last time he met Natasha, it was on good terms. Weren't they flirty then too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the last time we have actually seen slash heard of Natasha, it's whenever she almost didn't die. We're not entirely sure because Hawkeye ran off. Right. And does he realize so, Black Widow is that same lady who flirted with him? I don't oh, know. I don't know if he, if he ever made that connection. Because when Hawkeye and Black Widow started working together, I don't think that Tony Stark ever saw them together. So it's a bit of a cheat. They act like they've met before and to the point where I actually looked her up just to make sure I wasn't forgetting, mm-hmm. a, uh, forgetting a story that she was in. And it's not. This is her first appearance. So they have a backstory. At some point, he jilted her. And now she's really upset that he did it again. And, and that seems like, you know, typical, you know, Tony Stark has, you know, runs across a woman he knows. Yeah. But this woman we haven't is, seen them meet, but this woman is thinking, I'll make you pay for it. So that sounds very ominous and like... She's more than she seems, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah. It may not mean that at all. It may just mean she throws a drink in his face later and says, ooh, I gotcha. Um, Tony Stark is no longer staying away from Pepper because of Happy. For a while there, he's like, I'm not going to flirt with Pepper because Happy likes Pepper and I want them to be happy uh-huh. and Pepper. But now he's doing it because of his heart. Because any and day I now he could like, die. Yeah, it's like, I could die. I can't. I can't confess my love to her because how could I expect her? You know, it's the same. It's the same bowl that um, friggin' who are we just talking about last episode? Matt Murdock. Yeah, not talking to Karen because of his blindness, and it's just like I feel like the motivation here matters. I know in the end the behavior is the same. Mm-hmm. It's like there's a difference between staying away because you're giving your friends room mm-hmm. to be themselves and see if there's something there. Or are you taking an agency away from the woman you care about because you want to make her decision for her against yourself? You know, it's just like, I feel like there's a difference there. Not only is there a difference, but both Matt and Tony are doing that because Matt is also waffling back and forth between it's because I'm blind and she should never be with me or it's because of Foggy and I can tell Foggy loves her. He does the same thing. So which one is it, guys? Or is it both? Yeah. I don't know. And it, it could be both. I mean, guys, you know, feelings are fickle too. It could be different on different days of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, is it weird to ask another guy out on your dancing date? Well, if she thinks it's just a friend and we're all going as friends, but it certainly didn't make happy or, you know, happy, happy. <laughs> it didn't make Hogan happy. But he's never happy. Jeez. I kind of don't want to date him or have Pepper date him because he's always so freaking miserable. Just tell her, tell her, look, I'm into you. If you're not into me back, then forget it. I'll find something else. But get over this Stark business. To be fair, he has been telling her he's into her since the day he walked up to her. In I think a way, actually, the, yeah. 
the more that he's actually been into her, the less he's confessed it. Right. Before it was just like bravado and macho, like, you know, right. badness. Pretty woman, gonna flirt. Yeah. But now they've actually spent some time together, he's actually starting to have a thing for her. Well, he also, like, the more he's in love with her, the more he's evolved from a cauliflower-eared boxer to a, you know, romantic sad sack. Right. That's kind of weird. This commissar guy, I feel like the commissar was some other communist random bad guy we fought another issue of something. Oh, it's pretty stereotype, isn't it? Yeah. How did Iron Man become the commie guy? Because it's funny, most of the other books we read don't have commies in them anymore. Right. But, but he's so, I guess he's so wrapped up in the, uh, in the establishment complex that. Yeah. And I guess he's in charge of like all the military technology and stuff. So I guess you would think Russia would hate him because of Stark, Stark, Stark. Mm-hmm. Nobody's, nobody's okay. mad at Captain America. No, at least not yet. Not yet. He hasn't but fought it, any Russians, has he? No. And I don't even know. Does he? I don't know. I was trying to think about that. I can't think of I any. I can't think of any like. Cold War missions that Captain America goes on. I mean, at some point there's like the Red Guardian and stuff, but is that even like his villain really, or is it just a counterpart kind of thing? And that was know. that was that's an Avengers story more than a Cap story, at yeah, least at first, right? So it's just very weird that they didn't think like, hey, Russians should hate Captain America because he kind of w- walks around with that whole democracy thing. Although I do remember one story somewhere. I don't know if it was a six one six Captain America story or an Ultimate Captain America story, but he talks about how. In World War II, we were allies with the Russians. Yeah. He fought alongside Russian soldiers. So to wake up and find out that, you know, we have animosity towards Russians was weird. Yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, Titanium Man. For those who don't know, titanium is, it's a pretty cool metal. It's prized in industries because it's strong, but also lightweight. It's not very dense. Uh, and it also resists a lot of corrosion. Ah. So using titanium in um, in metals is is cool. It is, however, silver colored. It's not green. So the titanium man was definitely painted, even though younger me thought that they were trying to make titanium be green. Mm. And Iron Man's not really made of iron. So making a titanium suit because it's stronger than iron. Who cares? Yeah, I think... Yeah, I think he actually says in one of the movies it's a gold titanium alloy. But maybe if you call yourself Iron Man, your enemies think you're made of iron. So there you go. Oh, trick them. And trick those guys. Or maybe at this point in his career, he is made of iron and they haven't come up with that idea yet. I don't know. There's a nice continuity bit where he mentions leaving the Avengers. Oh, yeah. that was, Oh, so that was the whole like uh, Chestel section not working. This is all news to us, by the way, people who are reading along. But like... Apparently, one of the main reasons he left the Avengers is because his chess piece is being unreliable. It's like good Which to know. Which makes sense. We've also seen stuff like his, you know, having to use those pods on his belt for a while. Mm-hmm. So we, even though the specific stuff he mentions is new, we have seen his suit having problems. Yeah. So, so that's, that's cool. cool. Using yeah, it was cool. tying that in. I liked it. And I liked that it was in an Iron Man comic and not an Avengers comic because it's none of their business. Right. Yeah. Mentioning Iron Man's tie to the Avengers from his perspective. Mm -hmm. Senator Bird seems a bit fickle. He doesn't want Stark or Iron Man being reckless or showboating in one issue, but he wants Iron Man to respond and fight out this grudge match for American pride in another issue. And it's just like, okay. Which is it, buddy? Yeah. What what are we supposed to do? Yeah. It's hard to be the bad guy sometimes because sometimes there's no win. You don't want the Russians to win, but you don't want your guy to win either. Right. 
And so we basically ended the story in a Dragon Ball Z episode, fighting what? a tournament while our supporting cast has, you know, a little melodrama in the background. Uh-huh. Pretty much. <laughs> so next issue will probably be all fight, fight, fight. And I assume the, I'm just predicting, but the little reverser thing will come into play somehow. Maybe not. I don't know. But we'll see. And Iron Man will stand there charging up the whole time while Happy and Pepper talk about, I don't know, volleyball. Yep. All right. Speaking of continued stories. Starting a new one. There's another one. No, no. This is continued. Midnight in Graymore Castle. When last we met, when last we saw Cap and Bucky, they were captured by the Nazis. And they're stuck in these big, these big uh, clawed machine things. And they're being lowered into a pit. And inside the pit, energy comes out, and they get shrunk. And, oh, I'm lying. It's just dolls. It's not really them. That didn't happen last issue. You guys aren't paying attention. Uh, <laughs> you had me going. I was like, I really don't think that happened last issue. Was there a connection that I forgot about? <laughs> no, it's just dolls. And the Nazis are like, dolls. good job, generic scientist guy. And he's like, thanks. We're going to get real Bucky and Cap over to this castle so you can do that. And then Red Skull can put him in a jar and add him to his collection. Uh, we cut to the scientist like doing paperwork and his sister comes in. Her name is Celia. And she's upset with her brother. She's like, you really shouldn't be working for the Nazis because they're just going to chew you up and spit you out. And he's like, listen, I don't care who I work for as long as I get to do my awesome science. And anyway, you should talk about chewing up and spitting out. Look at my robot hand. This is your fault. She's like, I know, I know. That's the only reason I'm still here to support you out of guilt because I don't like you anymore. Uh, we cut to, what do we cut to? Okay, we cut to like, I don't know where they are. I'm really bad at this war stuff and locations. But Roger's uh, platoon or whatever that he belongs to, they're actually going to go on a mission. So they're like- they're. They're marching in Britain. Okay. So they're not at Camp Lee High. No, they're not at Camp Lee High anymore. They're in Britain. Bucky's there too. Cap's been doing a lot of like marching and practicing as Steve Rogers, of course. Um, and they're going to go off. And Bucky's like, can I come with you? And he's like, of course you can't. You're just a mascot and a teenager and you're not allowed to do anything but like carry guns and stuff. You can't go on a mission. And Bucky's like, but, but what if like, you know, something bad happens here and we need Captain America? He's like, well, you'll get your chance to be Bucky without me. And I think you'll do a great job and then he you know punches him in the chin and stuff so not hard you know like for fun and uh uh he goes off on ships and guess what something does happen while he's gone the place that in britain where uh you know bucky and the guys are get attacked and so bucky turns to bucky <laughs> that's weird and goes out to see what's going on but actually, that's what they wanted because they somehow knew Bucky and Cap were probably there. So they basically just outed him. And once he was out, they ganged up on him and they knocked him out and they kidnapped him. And they take him to Graymore Castle where Cedric is, the scientist, and Celia is, the sister. Uh, meanwhile, we cut to Steve and his platoon doing whatever they're doing. It involves a lot of shooting and howling commander stuff. Uh Steve has to kind of pretend to be not as good as he is, but he still manages to take a tower. And in the tower is a guy on the Morse code. He knocks that dude out. And then he reads what the Morse code message was. And it says, boy known as Bucky, prisoner at Graymore Castle, will be disposed of according to plan. So he just leaps out the window, Captain America style. Um, doesn't see the second part of the note, which is that the people he's with are about to get raided also. Uh, so he missed that. He you know, runs a minute mile to the nearest airport 
where he leaps onto a, a, a German airplane. He punches through it with his shield, knocks out the 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 uh, you know pilots, and heads over to Graymore Castle. Meanwhile, Bucky is strapped down, and they start shooting him with um, some sort of rays or Z rays. They call it to prep him for the shrinking process. I guess, and we we end the issue with Cap like desperately trying to get there in time in the ship with a couple of unconscious Germans in the background without realizing that he just left his own people behind who are about to get raided. So how is he going to solve both problems? Find out next issue. So going back to your joke earlier, Mm -hmm. I did start this story thinking these were the real heroes in the trap. Totally. Me too. I thought there'd be a flashback or something. Yeah. And it would have been the second time that we started a story in the middle of our heroes being trapped because that arc that started with the uh, Red Skull origin, which I think was just the last arc, um, started out with him having been captured by the Red Skull. Mm -hmm. That's right. That would have been the second time in a row they did that. But no, it was was a fake out. It was fake. It was they thunderballed us. Um, Is he going to shrink them? Is he going to kill them? Well, he shrinks the dolls. Or the, mm-hmm. you know, the models or whatever they are, life model decoys. And they're like, yay, you're a genius, Dr. Rawlings. And then everything else sounds like they want to kill him. So I don't know. He's like, what I did to these plastic figures, I can also do to the real Captain America and Bucky. Um, I don't know if he's going to shrink them or he's going to shrink them, which will then kill them. Because normally under normal circumstances, shrinking is not good for you, I think. I mean, I feel like if you're if you've got your victims in big robotic claws and they can't move anymore, um, why not just if you want to kill them? It seems easier just to shoot them in the head than make some weird shrinking kill device. Right, but that's the whole James Bond aspect to it, right? That's just true. Like the elaborate death trap. That's true. I was watching something. Why did I leave him to be killed? Why did I just shoot him right then? I could have just killed him. Mm-hmm. I have a gun in my room, Scotty. You just don't get it. Uh, <laughs> The uh, the dynamic with Steve and Bucky was interesting. Um, Bucky's like, I I could go. I uh-huh. you know. I'm better than all these guys. <laughs> and he was like, No, there's no way a teenager is going to go into combat. So we have talked about the uselessness of Golden Age Steve Rogers' identity before, and mm-hmm. here's a great example of how it's kind of useless. Like I don't understand why it's needed. Or how it helps. It's actually counterproductive. It's actually counterproductive. They've got this guy pretending to be a mascot who could probably beat up 10 of the dudes that are going on this mission. Uh, Mm -hmm. And they've got Captain Frickin' America who probably has better things to do than being just a foot soldier who has to pretend to suck when he goes on this mission. You know, like, why? What is the benefit of being Steve Rogers and Bucky Barnes? I've never understood it. Other than Clark Kent. No. Other than ripping off Clark Kent, which is a good excuse in the Golden Age. But now we're in the Silver Age here. So I don't know. It just is weird. And I was reading this going, this is weird. Why would they want this? Why Why is this beneficial to anybody? And without really giving too much away, this is the last World War II arc mm-hmm. in this run of Captain America stories. Mm-hmm. We don't really know why they changed gears because, like I said before on an earlier episode, their plan when they started doing World War II stories was to tell a bunch of World War II stories that would lead up to them falling in the ice. That would have been awesome. And here they're telling the story, and this is the last one. And we don't know why they changed, but maybe Stanley's dislike for sidekicks and not really knowing how to handle Bucky in this situation was part of that. 
Maybe, but he sure handled him well in the last story arc, so I don't know. I wonder if, like, it was just too much like Sergeant Fury and they were getting worn out on figuring out how to make World War II epic. Maybe. And they wanted to get into superhero fighting. But Cap in World War II is way different than the Howling Commandos in World War II. They could have done superheroes and stuff still. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. One other thing is that Bucky in both of these, both the last story and this one, he has to like not be Bucky to get jobs done. He has to like go undercover and sneak around and, and do other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so Steve tells Bucky, what I say goes, no arguments, and this will be your chance to show what you can do while I'm gone. Mm-hmm. And Bucky shows what he can do while he's gone. He gets captured. Yeah, unfortunately. But to be fair, that was their plan, so he just fell for it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it's not like Captain America has never fallen for a plan. Yeah, he may have been captured, too, if he was there. Right. So it's a good thing he wasn't. It was interesting to see Steve running around with a rifle shooting people, because I don't know that I've seen that very often. Yeah. You don't really see that often. You mostly just see him, like, in formation being a klutz and getting yelled at or peeling potatoes or, like, I've never, I'm trying to think of any other story I can think of where Steve Rogers was on a mission, like, with his platoon. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, because normally when they do Captain America World War II flashbacks, it's all about Captain America Bucky missions. Mm-hmm. But you're right, this is Steve Rogers doing an army mission in the actual front as Private Steve Rogers right. with his gear and his gun. Yeah. They don't do this very often. And they even have to go out of their way to say, like, he has to be not great about it, which has got to be frustrating. Like, I could, I could be so much better, but I'm just going to pretend to be this lame guy that everybody thinks is good at peeling potatoes. Right, right. I don't know. Which seems like that would be, you know, just endangering other people's lives, but whatever. Superman has to do it all the time, I guess. And technically, at the end, Steve Rogers is a deserter. Yep. I don't know that's going to do anything. Probably not going to do much because, you know, there's nothing that really changes. But it, unless he can clear his name, he is now a criminal. He is to the people who are not in the know. But how many people are in the know? Because we never know that. Like, is the would the higher-ups just be like, oh, well... He's Cap and we know, so it's cool. Or, yeah, yeah, the higher-up higher-ups would know. Sergeant Duffy wouldn't know. Sergeant Duffy wouldn't know. So technically, he should be in trouble if he wants to maintain his identity, but maybe he can get out of it somehow. Or they'll just not know because they're about to be raided, so they'll never they'll never notice anyway. But I And I'm not, I'm not an expert at all in military protocol, far, far, far from it. But I would think that Sergeant Duffy, being a sergeant and therefore a non-commissioned officer would not actually be in charge of getting Steve in trouble. He might mm. report it to officers, but then they would deal with it. So it, the entire situation might be dealt with over Sergeant Duffy's head. And then Steve Rogers is put back in his unit. And he's like, what the blazes riffraff are you doing back here? You know, you were a deserter. And Steve's like, I was, I was cleared, Sergeant. Yeah, I really have never been able to wrap my head around how that kind of ranking thing works. Like, I still don't get what Miles O'Brien is most of the time. So, just to bring in Star Trek again. <laughs> like, well, actually, actually, it is Deep Space Nine that got me wondering. Uh-huh. And then Battlestar Galactica that kind of gave me, you know, a bit of a better understanding. Um, the non-commissioned people are the people who have gone to the military as a job. Okay. Like, I am good at doing technical stuff. Uh-huh. So, I want to go do technical stuff in the Army. And so they never go to officer school. Okay. They'll never be like a captain or a general or anything. They'll be given authority over other people of their same ilk. And that's where you have things like sergeant and stuff, where these are people who also are just in the military as a job and they've been put over other people, but they're never going to rise 
super high in the ranks or anything. That's my understanding of it. And that could be off off a little bit. So he's, you know, to all, for all other people's uh, idea, he's not a captain. He's private Steve Rogers, right? Right. So it's private a commission non-commissioned. or non-commissioned. So he could get yelled at by Duffy maybe. I don't know. I don't know how that works. I don't get it. I don't know how it works either. What the either. heck's a gunny? I don't know. But, but to be a lieutenant or whatever, you have to actually go to school. For, okay. So does that mean um, Nog can boss Miles around? Yes. Whoa. That seems oddly weird. But It is. It is one of those. It comes into stories sometimes. It, as far as I know, when you graduate officer's school, when you graduate from the academy or whatever they call it, uh-huh. and you walk out and have never been in a single situation of combat, yeah. but you have officer's bars, you immediately outrank the 30-year sergeant. Who's seen war and knows what he's doing. Yeah. Right. The guy who's the head of the space station uh, engineering stuff. Yeah. Which right. is why you have the whole like rank versus experience thing going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about our, you know, and this is not speaking about the current president, but just in general, our president is the commander in chief. And yet having military experience has no position in getting into the presidency. That's true. And there's always that stereotype in those, you know, like army movies where like the guy from Harvard who's in charge, but doesn't really know how to fight mm-hmm. a war mm-hmm. versus the guy with all the scars and the cigar or whatever. Yeah. Like Platoon. There was a guy like that in Platoon with the glasses who was in charge, and then he sucked. Anyway, okay. They need to rethink this so, whole ranking system, maybe. Yeah. They should listen to us. But that's that. That's Captain sure. America. Boy, we really derailed on the, on the Star Trek thing. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've mentioned it before, but this is a story arc that I used to conflate in my brain with the final death of Bucky story, because oh. this takes place in a castle, and that takes place in a castle, and my brain used to blend them together, and... I don't have that problem anymore, but since I've mentioned it before, I thought this is the one. And it should be noted they're still coloring Bucky wrong, and it's annoying. Okay. Yes. Last one. Should we do it? Um, we can. It's it's one nineteen, and if we, we'll probably go half an hour. It's going to be close to two hours if we do it. I don't care. Do you guys care? Does anybody care? Right, right in I mean, and tell us always, if we're too long. Like, does anybody you can care? Always push pause if you do care. Yeah, it is a thing. Like, I never listen to an entire episode of a podcast anyway. You always have to continue it later, right? Right. So this is you though. Good. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Swordsman. Well, the Avengers. Yeah. The Avengers nineteen. The coming of the swordsman. Boy, there's a lot of purple on this cover. There's a very purple cover. <laughs> well, it's because of all the violets inside. <laughs> yeah. Get it? Violets. Yep. Ha <laughs> ha. Okay. <clears throat> If you like this swashbuckling fantasy thriller as much as we expect you to, the credit goes to Stan Lee writer, Don Heck artist, and Dick Ayers inker. But if you're iconoclastic enough not to like it, we'll try to pin the blame on poor, innocent Artie Simic letter. Aw, poor Artie. Okay, the swordsman has decided he wants to join the Avengers. Because once you get that Avengers ID card, you can do anything. And so becoming a superhero would be a great way to get into crime. Yeah, makes sense. So he raids He raids the headquarters. Um, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are on monitor duty, and they are bored out of their skulls. Uh, but the alarm comes in that there's an intruder, so Quicksilver goes down, takes care of him. Uh, he doesn't actually have much success, and so Scarlet Witch goes down there and throws some hexes at him and uh, manages to take the, uh, take the um, swordsman down. Mm-hmm. Swordsman does swat Quicksilver across the face with the flat of his blade <gasps> to say, um, you know, that's what you get for hitting me. 
But he tells Scarlet Witch, hey, I want to join the Avengers. She's like, there's no way you're going to join. You have no honor. Captain America comes down, hey, bad guy here, huh? Why didn't you call me for help? And Wanda's like, I didn't need your help. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Um, he runs the swordsman through Google and finds out that he is wanted in like like all the countries. So they're not going to let him be an Avenger. The swordsman hits the light switch and runs away in the dark. So they're like, huh, that's an interesting way to start a Tuesday. So they go go on with their life and Captain America is training in his training room because, you know, if you have no superpowers, you've got to stay in peak physical condition. Mm-hmm. And Hawkeye shows up, hey, what's going on? And Captain America's like, well, you missed all the interesting action earlier. The swordsman showed up. And Hawkeye's like, oh, the swordsman? Wait, lowercase s or capital S? Because I know the one with the capital S. And um, he and I were in the carnival together. And uh, Wayne and Garth come by going, for a flashback. And basically, Hawkeye joined the carnival as the assistant for this mustachioed dude called the Swordsman. And they would do an archery swords duo. I don't know how that worked. But one day, Hawkeye caught the Swordsman ripping off the um, owner of the circus. And he's like, how can you do that? He's like, that's why I'm here, to get all this money. Come on, you're my assistant. We can go into crime together. Hawkeye's like, I'm not going to go to crime with you. I'm not a criminal. So um, they fight, and Hawkeye fakes his death, and Swordsman leaves. And Katamir's like, oh, so he thinks you die, which probably means he doesn't realize that you're Hawkeye, that you're still that archer from the carnival. Meanwhile, Hydra is trying to find Nick Fury. And they go to his old CIA office. And they're like, is Nick Fury here? No, he's not. But somebody left a letter on his desk. It's from the Avengers. Hey, I've got this teleport beam right next to me. Going to teleport that letter into my hands. Unwrap, unwrap, read, read, read. This thing's from weeks ago. Captain America's trying to talk to Nick Fury. That's dumb. Can't find Nick Fury. We filled again. Throw the paper out the window. Random dude walks by. Hey, look at this letter. This is pretty cool. I think I'll save this for later. I'm going to go play some cards with my friends. The guy's like, hey, did you hear how uh, the swordsman wants any indications of how to how to trap an Avenger? Hey, I've got an idea. I've got a letter I can give him. Hey, swordsman, you want this letter? Swordsman's like, yes, I want the letter. Aren't you going to pay me my reward after I get my Avenger? So um, now he knows that Captain America wants to meet Nick Fury. So Swordsman writes a letter saying, hey, this is Nick Fury. I love you, Cap. Do you love me? Circle one. Yes, no, or maybe. And Steve Fury opens up. Steve Fury. Uh, Captain America opens up the letter. Hey, yay, Fury loves me. I want to be his friend. Hawkeye's like, um, what about the Avengers? Captain America's like, eh, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll be around. We can, we can still get coffee. And like, what gives you the right to be a part-time Avenger? I'm awesome. That's why I'm Captain Frickin' America. So anyways, Cap leaves to go see uh, Nick Fury. And um, Hawkeye is out just kind of chilling out, Max and relaxing all cool and shooting up some bad guys outside of the school. When one of them's like, hey, I didn't mean to tell the swordsman about Captain America. You got to believe me. He's like, wait a second. What? So um, Hawkeye's like, I got to go tell Cap. Goes back to Avengers headquarters. Hey, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, where's Cap? They're like, um, he left like a while ago. Remember that? Like three pages back. So Captain America goes to this warehouse. He's like, this warehouse is old and run down. I can't believe S.H.I.E.L.D. operates out of here. Hey, Nick, Nick. And Swordsman's like, ha ha ha, I've captured you. So they fight and they fight. And um, 
Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are like, how are we going to find Captain America? And Hawkeye's like, wait a second. Don't we all have locator beacons in our clothes? They're like, yes, we do. So they pulled out the homing device and they tracked down Captain America with the homing beacon in his clothes and his belt buckle. And they go to the warehouse. And as they're going to the warehouse, Swordsman is actually beating Captain America. Um, I mean, he's using his environment. There's a truck and there's falling debris and stuff. But Swordsman does beat Captain America. And he takes Captain America to a construction site way up on one of those planks that sticks out of the construction site for no reason. He has Captain America bound on the edge of the plank. And he's like, all right, if I push him off, he falls to his death. You better make me the leader of the Avengers or your current leader is going to die. You got 10 seconds. And they're like, um, what are we going to do? Just kidding. And he pushes Captain America off the end. Mm-mm. And Captain America falls. Mm-mm. It's the end. No, 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 no. Cap jumps. Oh. Because he tells them, you don't make don't make decisions based on his blackmail. And then he just jumps. So they don't have to. Oh, you're so right. So he commits suicide. He's okay. dead. That's the end of Captain America. <laughs> you fool, nothing can save you now. We're too late. The swordsman pushed him. No, he didn't. I saw it. Cap jumped. Mm-hmm. He did it for us so that we wouldn't surrender. Yep. What a hero. What a guy, what a guy, what a guy. Except he's totally wrong in this issue, but we can get to that. Uh, Who's wrong? Captain America. Oh. He's he's not being a very good Captain America this issue, I don't think. But it happens, you know. Um, Thoughts on the swordsman? Okay, swordsman is an interesting cat because I definitely know him, and I know he's important to the Avengers because he shows up more often than just this. And I like him, and I even knew his origin is associated with Hawkeye, but I always just kind of can't remember much about the swordsman for some reason. <laughs> like, it doesn't – I guess it just doesn't stick. So I'm happy right. I'm happy we're getting to the swordsman, and I can read about his his initial appearances again so I can sort of sort this out. But it still is kind of confusing because this whole business with Hawkeye's origin, like, I swear to God, there was also a character named Trickshot who had the exact same story. So it's like – <laughs> is Trickshot and Swordsman somehow related? Who came first? I don't know. And I guess I'll never know that until we get to the 80s or something. But Well, Swordsman came first, obviously. Well, obviously, the Swordsman came first. But in terms of his chronology, had, mm-hmm. had he already met Trickshot? Does he get tricked twice by two purple guys? I don't know. Um, a lot of Swordsman's early stuff is Cornball Silver Age. Uh, at one point, he's going to get, like, Mandarin powers in his sword. Oh, goodness. The way he pushes buttons and stuff. But, like... Over time, they do some interesting things with him, especially Steve Englehart during his Avengers run. Uh And, you know, he's never a star player. No. And he's not really in any character's supporting cast, but he does have a journey and an arc and even a legacy. Mm -hmm. Because after he dies, there are other people who take up his name. So I kind of love the swordsman. Yeah, he's cool. And actually, what's weird about this issue is on paper, haha. it's not a very good story, but I really enjoyed it anyway, which is mm-hmm. weird. Like, there's a lot of weird uh, 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 coincidences and the motivation to be the Avengers leader so he could be evil and thinking that's going to fly is really silly. And the fact that he can take on the entire Avengers and his only power is he has a sword is kind of silly, but I still really liked it. This was really fun. The idea that if I join the Avengers, I can have extra accesses I can do you know, nefarious things with, I don't think is the worst approach. I think that's actually a pretty cool idea if you can make it happen, but he's not successful. Well, but he doesn't even try though. He like, he should have at least pretended he was good, you know? 
Oh yeah, and get in and be on their good graces, and then behind their backs use the card to get into government access and steal stuff or whatever his plan is. But like he goes in there being a jerky head and slapping people with his sword, and then he thinks like somehow capturing Captain America. They should have all just said, "Sure, we'll make you the leader. Let him go." And then when they let him go, punch him in the face. Because yeah, the bit at the end is. I mean, this move only works for Robin Hood. <laughs> And only that one time when he was Kevin Costner. Right. I don't want to join you. I want to lead you. Right. Right. And they could have all just said, okay, sure. I don't know. Like, sometimes it's weird. That's just the whole honor. Honoring bad guys for some reason, like you have to, is still weird to me. Sort of. Okay. So there's a weird word choice. Okay. That had that gave me thoughts. Mm-hmm. Page four, last panel. Okay. You'll never be an adventure, for you are lacking in honor. Mm-hmm. As for the last word, that is a woman's prerogative, as you shall see, because uh-huh. the swordsman said, swordsman always says the last word. Uh-huh. So, first of all, Wanda, is it more honorable for Quicksilver to dive in and hit you than run away again? Is that, you know, I don't know what honor is in this story, but the whole last word comment sent me into thinking. Mm-hmm. I've definitely heard the saying, women have to have the last word, or like women have the last word in an argument. Mm-hmm. Um, I've even heard like anything a man says after that is the start of a new argument, Mm -hmm. which, okay. It's very heterocentric, Mm -hmm. but also feels like resentful and therefore kind of gross because it's like women are arguing and trying to say, make a point and that's bad. Mm -hmm. So here's my thought. And then I want to hear your thoughts. There's definitely a psychological need to have the last word. Uh Some humans have it. A lot of humans don't. And giving this negatively to women feels like the sort of thing that a man would do because the man wants to have the last word and his partner also wants to have the last word. So he's going to blame her because she's the woman and he's the man. Mm -hmm. So it's like misogynistic resentful. So I don't really know why Wanda is using it unless she's trying to reclaim something that's misogynistic and try to make it empowering. But what what do you, what do you think? That sounds good to me because you could totally hear a man go, Oh, you know, those women, they always have to have the last word. Right. So now she's like, taking that what's probably a common idea in 1965 and saying, well, you know, us women, we have to have the last word. And then she destroys the panel and knocks him out, which right. is pretty awesome. Okay. Let's take it that way. So it may not meant, let's take it, it may that, not way. Meant that way, but she could be being sexist to herself. Yes. It is definitely possible for people to have sexist or racist ideas, even if they are part of the, uh, especially um, if they're marginalized. written by a man, especially if they're written by a man. Um, but look, the two of them are, Minding the store. Is this like the first time we've got the idea that there's always an Avenger on call now? They're organizing. I don't think it's the first time. I seem to remember that Captain America was on monitor duty whenever oh. Jonah called the Avengers. Oh, but he also just lives there. Yeah, he does just kind of live there. He's still there. He also, he is here. Uh-huh. He's living here. <laughs> He's just not down in the headquarters that we just learned about in 17 and now they're going to use all the time. Yeah. They're really going to need to um, buff up security. Cause he just kind of walks in. He, well, it's just a stairway, right? You walk into Tony's mansion and walk down the stairs and there's this thing. Yeah. They probably should have like these octopus things that come out and grab you or something. That would be cool. Right. Or maybe a, um, a bust of a head that you can like open up and push a button on or an alarm. It opens the door. Yeah. Yeah. Something. Yeah. I love the uh, interchange on page five. Why didn't you call me Wanda? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I didn't need any help. Yep. That's pretty great. On the other hand, Wanda, if the Avengers Mansion is under attack, maybe alert all the Avengers. Just the thing. Maybe. maybe. Especially the ones that are in the building. But that's okay. <laughs> again, just upstairs. again, that goes to the alarm business. And anyway, they probably didn't have time. Right. Um, 
uh, uh, I'm liking the Don Heck art more. I am a big fan of Don Heck in Iron Man. I didn't love him so much in Avengers, but now that the cast has changed, I think he's happier because mm-hmm. he doesn't have to draw Thor and Iron Man and, and Giant Man in weird sizes all the time anymore. He just gets to draw Hawkeye, which he already liked because he invented him. And, right. uh, you know, all these more streamlined heroes. I think it's working much better. There's there's a, a naturalism mm-hmm. to his style that definitely favors this group because mm-hmm. I mean no one here looks unusual. No, his Thor in particular kind of drove me nuts. It just never looked mm-hmm. never looked godly enough. Looked like a dude with a weird helmet on. Right. Uh, love Cap training. That's fun. Doesn't mean anything, but it's fun. I kind of am amazed that Hawkeye and Cap had a normal conversation. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about the whole Cap training thing oh, for okay. a second. And I, I know we've had scenes where Cap emphasizes the importance of staying in shape. Uh-huh. And you and I have talked about how he has no super soldier serum. Mm-hmm. But I think this is the first time where it's explicitly mentioned in the story that he has no powers and therefore must exercise. Okay, but you know what I've always noticed? And maybe it's not true, we'll find out later, but he always preface or he always addendums that with like the others. So what does that mean? Does that mean he has no hex powers? He has no speed powers? He can't shoot lightning out of his toes? He's not blue like the he beast. He can't fire a bow and arrow? Okay, well, the thing is, he really should have an asterisk where he says, except for Hawkeye, I'm way better than Hawkeye. But, of course, he's right. not going to say that. But he always says stuff like that. I don't have powers like you guys. And it's usually because he's surrounded by people who have, like, crazy weather-controlling powers or, you know, telepathy or whatever. So you could argue that that's what he means. Mm-hmm. And his powers are just more like... I'm a human, and yeah, I'm a little faster and stronger than everybody else, but I can't phase through walls like you guys can. So I have to keep right. I have to keep in tip top condition because that's my contribution to this team is being interesting. Yeah, being, that, that that does make being sense. a martial person. Now I don't know if that's what Stan means because we all know Stan wants him to be a guy who drinks his milk and eats his Wheaties. So yeah, well, I was just thinking that maybe at this point he misses the serum. Yeah. And therefore keeps up his exercise because he has no other recourse. Maybe. Like he used to be a super soldier. Now he's just a really, really fit guy. Maybe. But man, when I go to the gym, I don't vault over things and then bench press and then punch boards in half and stuff. But I guess Daredevil could probably do that. I don't know. I assume that this is like different phases. He's not just like bounding from one to the other. But <laughs> I don't know. It's Captain America. You never, you never know. know. All right. The, I, the, the letter came back. Yeah. What about Hawkeye's origin? We don't care. Oh, um, yeah. So Hawkeye, we get flashbacks for him, but we still don't get his name. No, but this is where he learns the bow and arrow, right? This is where he learns the bow and arrow. So he didn't. He did not get trapped on an island for five years. Dang, you beat me to it by three seconds. Yep. That's exactly (laughs) right. And then he gets betrayed because his mentor turned out to be... He gets... Todd had to shoot bow and arrows by a sword guy. So yeah, you're right. That Uh is a little weird. And then he gets betrayed because the sword guy was really going to use him to be a robber and he didn't like that so he ran away and faked his death or you know was presumably killed but not and yeah did you um when you were reading this Mm -hmm. and you got to the first circus panel okay i gotta get this off my chest i never knew my parents did your brain say i never knew my father (laughs) no what is that from that's bruce from finding nemo poor hawkeye i bet his parents are something i bet they are but i don't know what Sentinels. He was an orphan. Yeah, they're probably Sentinels or something. Um, they are. Um, so here's where all the crazy coincidences come in. It's kind of coincidental that they just put one letter from Captain America on his desk that he never checks anymore, I guess. Uh, yeah, who put that there? Like, right? Who took the mail? 
and delivered it to the desk of a man who no longer works there. Right. And then just sat there. And why is there only one letter? Right. Unless they decided that letter is really special because it's from the Avengers. So I better put it directly on his desk instead of his inbox, which is cool. But again, he hasn't been there in weeks. Right. So seems odd. How about forward it? Except nobody knows where. <laughs> yeah. How does he get mail? I guess he should probably check his mail. Okay. So continuity uh-huh. note, because this letter was written back in the Avengers 15. Uh-huh. Um, and at that time, we did not have a shield story. No. Um, I have mentioned before that some chronology lists, like the official Marvel Index, mm-hmm. put Strange Tales 135 a little bit early in the timeline before Avengers 15. So when Cap wrote that letter to Nick, I mentioned that maybe putting that shield story early was to make it so Cap actually writes him at shield. Nah. And you had said at the time, writing him at the CIA works equally well, and I agreed. Mm -hmm. And here we get solid support. Yes, he wrote to Nick Fury at the CIA, and Fury never got the letter because he's a S.H.I.E.L.D. I like that better because why would Cap know about S.H.I.E.L.D. yet, you know? Why does anybody – nobody knows about S.H.I.E.L.D. except Tony. Right. Yeah. Well, Tony being Iron Man and being an Avenger. But he's not an Avenger at this point, so do they even talk anymore? I don't know. I don't know. I I don't know. I I don't know if there's going to be an issue where Cap – is shown to discover shield or if he's just going to know about shield randomly one day, but I think he does. He, I think he discovers shield. Yeah. Cause yeah, the whole Nick Fury, Captain America narrative, there's a pretty, pretty consistent through line to that for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes through the Avengers and the Captain America book, but there's, yeah, there's definitely a moment where Captain America discovers all that. I remember right. that. Okay, cool. So that's better. So he probably worked for He probably wrote to the CIA then. Makes sense. Yeah. Steve just wants to be loved. Uh, so uh, I like Steve and, you know, sometimes your heroes can uh, fail you a little bit because I think like he's being a little delusional here in multiple ways. How like so? one, I think he is wrong to think that working full time for the CIA will not somehow interfere with his abilities uh, to lead the Avengers Two, I think it's very unfair for him to do this right now because they literally just roster changed <clears throat> and he's now in charge of this new baby team and like he should be focusing on that. And then three, we know he really is only doing all this because he wants to be in action 24-7 because he's in denial that he's a man out of time and has no life and he needs to work on that. So stop being snippy with your teammates. Stop rubbing it in their face that you want to be somewhere else and, you know, get an apartment and some new friends. You're being weird. Yeah. I don't think any of the men in this scene handle the conversation well, but yeah, Cats America definitely needs to. It also could be while you're describing that, that like there has definitely been a paradigm shift in the Avengers between the first team and this team. Mm -hmm. Remember how they used to meet on a whatever frequency basis, weekly or monthly basis, they would get together and have a meeting. And if there were any problems, they would go and, and address them here. It's like, Avengering is the life. Yeah. You know? It seems like they're all living here. Or at least spending a lot of time there. So whenever they say, what gives you a right to be a part-time Avenger? I'm kind of like, well, everybody is a part-time Avenger. I mean, Tony Stark has his life and is also an Avenger. So Nick Fury, I'm sorry, Captain America could go and have a CIA life and also be an Avenger. Remember when Iron Man couldn't show up or wouldn't show up to a call and they got like all real butthurt about him and were like going to suspend him and... All this stuff. Now, the thing is, all of these characters except Cap don't have any other books. So we don't know if they go home or have supporting cast somewhere else or whatever. They just live in the pages of Avengers right now. 
We do know that the the siblings have another home because they were in their other oh, home last issue. Yeah. And he went to the circus and she went to the That's opera. true. And Hawkeye, I don't know where he was working on his eras, if he was working at Avengers headquarters or at his house. But they're all just going to be like, even when they're on off time, it's going to be in Avengers because there's nowhere else for them to have a life. So it's, it just yeah. feels more like a Fantastic Four or X-Men thing right now because it, this isn't a gathering of uh, all-stars anymore who have their own books. Well, well, speaking of a life outside of Avengers, the Hawkeye scene on the next couple pages feels like not an Avengers story. It feels like a Hawkeye story. Yeah, he's just out patrolling. Yeah, if, if Hawkeye had a book right now, mm-hmm. this could be in his book, and you'd have like a crossover in the narrative, you know, where the two books are affecting each other. But this could be a Hawkeye book adventure that affects the Avengers story. Instead, it's just all the Avengers, because that's where he is now. I do like the little bit where he's like deciding whether or not to warn cap about this thing that he just heard because you know he ultimately does because he's a good guy but mm-hmm. i don't know it's just a fun little bit of drama i think it's super cute that just the word avenger makes hawkeye want to be a better person yep. i'm an avenger i really should do the right All, thing he and quicksilver are latching onto that idea pretty quick yeah yeah they are it's good stuff yeah. um now, remember, Mike, next time an Avenger gets captured, they all have tracer discs. That is pretty smart. On their outfit. That makes more yeah. sense than than Tony Stark having a trace. <gasps> That's the no prize right there. Just figured it out. People don't know that Iron Man and Tony Stark are the same person. So he made tracer discs for all the Avengers, including himself to uh, cover his tracks including himself to cover his tracks because otherwise they'd that's be like, like man having a clark kent room in the fortress be, otherwise they're like tony why don't you make one for iron man he can't say oh because i always know where i am right yes that's it that's why it exists we just figured it out we fixed or 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 even if they he didn't make one for everyone the idea of tony stark having a way of finding his bodyguard in his car uh-huh. does make yeah. sense all right. Well, we solved that book. Okay. That book's much yeah. better. And Tony definitely seems like the kind of guy who would tinker with an idea and make it happen, even though it didn't necessary, just because he wanted to solve the problem. I feel like it's not very often that Cap gets just completely defeated. So this was interesting. Yeah. Swordsman totally beat mm-hmm. him. I mean, has them all tied pretty up and pretty much can kill him whenever he wants. Yeah. So to be honest, this is the first story of the new Avengers that I have actually enjoyed as much as I wanted yep, to. Yep. I was going to say the same thing. This is where it feels like it's gelling now. Mm-hmm. And I, I read, I don't normally read letter pages because I'm lazy, but I did read these because I was curious. And it turns out Avengers 16 is what this issue talks about, which is the lineup change. Oh. And what was the tone? Half of it was, yay, this is really fun. You guys are cool. I like that they ch- are changing it up. And the other half was like, um, it's Earth Mightiest Heroes, and you picked these guys. Like, we want our old, awesome, powerful guys back mm-hmm. who have their own stories and stuff, and they're all coming together to be the JLA. This is not the JLA, essentially. And then I think one guy, I can't remember what one guy was mad about. Um, one guy was mad that Giant Man didn't have his helmet in Avengers, but he did in his own book, and it was just weird continuity, and it was upset him. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. Well, he eventually did get his helmet. By that last two-parter, yeah. he had his yeah, helmet. Yeah, but it just they, they did it out of yeah. order or something, and he was annoyed. I just thought that was funny. Even back then, there was pedantic Twitter. What's interesting that the JLA, the JLA never has like an elected roster change. The JLA brings on members, and then who's ever in, whoever is in a particular story is just whoever's in that story. Yeah, I just um, meant more like 
you know, the JLA is usually comprised of Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, people who have solo titles and are very powerful. And the Avengers, right. that's how the Avengers were kind of rolling here because they had Thor and Giant Man and Iron Man. And now it's like, no, now we have Hawkeye and Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Where are their books? They don't have books. And they're not that powerful except for Scarlet Witch, sort of. It's an interesting way to spotlight some characters that they had no other way to spotlight because – I don't know if we've ever talked about it on this on the on the show right now, but Marvel has a limit on how many books they're allowed to publish every mm-hmm. week, every month. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so saying I want to have stories about these heroes, they've got to figure out ways to do that with the books they have at hand. Mm-hmm. So giving the spotlight here to three other characters was a pretty interesting way of doing that. And you know, um, team books like this, where it's often comprised of solo characters who are coming together whether it be Justice League or Avengers, um, a lot of times I think the fan favorite team members are the ones that are that only live in the team books generally. There's always right. that, the one or two characters that aren't Superman, you know, and you're only going to get a Tigra story in Avengers or I can't think of a JLA that does that, but there must be some, um, like a Red Tornado or something. So uh, right. uh, uh, the fact that this team is comprised three out of four of people you can only get in Avengers might explain why it's kind of a famous or loved roster in a way. Cap's Kooky Quartet. Cap's Kooky Quartet even gets its own name and everything. But like all their adventures are contained in this one title. Well, that's all I've got on this one. Yeah, this was a great one. Looking forward to next issue when Cap splats. No, that won't happen. It's the end of our month. Oh, no. Is it really? Ha ha. That means I have to quickly open up Mike's Amazing and figure out, okay, what you, what you like and what you don't? Boy. While you're looking at Mike's Amazing, should I run down the yes. list? Okay. Thor fought Hercules uh, in, Journey, in, uh-huh. in um, Journey into Mystery Annual okay. 1. Spider-Man and Doctor Strange fought Xandu for the Wand of Watum in Amazing Spider-Man Annual 2. Mm-hmm. Um, Thor fought the Destroyer in Journey into Mystery 119. Namor was dealing with first a squid and then seaweed man. And also the Hulk was dealing with the giant humanoid uh-huh. in Tales of Astonish 71. Yeah. Daredevil had to go up against that night dude and not get his eyes worked on in Daredevil 9. Sergeant Fury 21 had them, um, oh, to free a hostage. They went to go free, oh, that, that one scientist, uh, free his wife and daughter. Yep. And then the Fantastic Four 42 was the big fight against Ben and the Frightful Four. Mm-hmm. Amazing Spider-Man 28, Molten Man, Strange Tales 136, Nick Fury in the Barbershop, and then Doctor Strange and the Demon, Tales of Suspense 69, Titania Man for Iron Man, and Greymore Castle for Captain America, and the Avengers 19, Swordsman. Um, so we only have, well, we have more comics than mm-hmm. usual. Because it's 11 comics. But now with all of these like anthology stories that actually kind of matter and count, we have like 15 or 16 stories to talk about, like to pick from. Yeah, and I'm ready. I got it. Oh, you've That's got easy. it? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, I, I, I don't yet. <laughs> all right. Well, a lot of these were just like, as usual, were like not bad, but not great. So I just kind of put them in the middle. Like Submariner was okay, kind of repetitive. And Sergeant Fury was fun. Um I actually meant Nick Fury, but Sergeant Fury was also fun. Wow, we have two Furies now. That's weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, so that's a note that I had at one point I don't think I've ever said. Of all the people to get, like, a second title for himself. <laughs> right? Yeah. Nick Fury. 
I guess the Howling Commandos might be a big seller. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah. It could have been. Probably a lot of letters writing in saying, what's he doing in present day? Yeah. And also, like, this is still 65, so we still have westerns and military and romance comics. So it's kind of combining genres a little. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. But in all that, I'm going to say Daredevil was my least favorite because I still don't understand why that was a great idea. Okay. Um, even though the art was pretty awesome, but I just don't see why Daredevil would travel to a third world country and fight a, 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 a you know dictator that just seems out of his wheelhouse, sort of. And Avengers is my favorite. I don't know if it's the best story, but it was my favorite. I've been looking forward to the Kooky Quartet um, being kind of good, and it was good. So, okay, I might have said Fantastic Four, but last time we talked about it, you kind of pointed out, and I never really realized that it's mostly just a big fight that extends the story for three issues so i was like huh that's a good point they didn't really get anywhere and yet i really oh i did it. too like, but it's, it, it's a really good i fight. did too but you could also almost skip it and they'd be right back to where they already were so sort of weird hmm. sort of weird except for johnny i guess but uh, i don't know what my favorite is yeah swordsman was fun swordsman was fun my favorite is not spider-man Mm-mm. no Mol- molten man um, was tacked on so that gets a negative for me yeah. i do like the graduation though I'm almost tempted to give it to Thor. Thor, um, which Thor? Oh, that Thor. The Destroyer Thor. Oh, yeah. Not the annual. That was pretty good, too. Oh. Actually, I enjoyed the annual. It's just not a story that mattered that much, but it was kind of fun. Yeah. You know, it, it, it was fun. It's just, it's it was... Nothing to talk about. Less than 20 pages, yeah. so shorter than a usual story, although not shorter than a usual Thor story, and an annual, so you expect something big and you got something small. Yeah, it's just like two bros fighting because they're bros. It was definitely a bro yeah. fight. Although we do get introduced to Hercules, who is awesome. So that's kind of a cool moment or milestone. Hmm. Well, what's your least favorite? You got okay. a least favorite? Sometimes that's easier. Um, my least favorite is going to go to, it is a toss up between Namor uh-huh. and the Spider-Man annual. Oh, really? I didn't hate that story that much. It was kind of fun. I don't hate it. I don't hate anything. I know, fun. right? It's kind of getting harder. But that is one of my least favorite Spider-Man stories from this era. Uh And damn. Um, Yeah. I'm giving Spider-Man my least enjoyed. You know what's weird about that story is it's way more a Doctor Strange story and a Spider-Man annual, which is kind of funny. Right. He's like a bit part almost, Spider-Man. And my favorite is going to go to Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Really? Okay. I did that last month. Um. It's a really fun little chapter, yeah. and like I said, we need to we need to figure out what's going to happen with Hydra besides just going after Nick. Uh-huh. They need to become a terrorist organization. That, but that's a problem with the concept, not with the story. No, it was a good story. Very clever. The story was pretty heck of yeah. fun, and I really enjoyed it. And yeah, wow. Okay. So Spider-Man's never been on my... Actually, I think Spider-Man has been on my list before. Uh, but, um, there was probably that robot one. That's not great. There's that robot one. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, this episode has gone over long, but that's okay yeah. because, you know, we like make ours Marvel. So, um, Mike, yeah. where can, uh, what, are, what are we going to do next week? Oh, next week we've got Sergeant Fury annual number one, which has them fighting things uh, in Korea. Fantastic Four. We're already up to annual number three. Oh, boy. And it's the big wedding issue between human torch and thing x-men number 13 we've got part two of the juggernaut and journey into mystery 
number 120, which is in my hand, this hammer. Oh, because he has to forge his hammer again. So that'll be that Oh, one. yeah, because it got destroyed. So that's what we're going to try and tackle. We're trying to do this whole new four-per-episode format. We'll see how that goes. But at least read those four so you're prepared whether we actually do it or not. We'll see next week. All right. Well, um, I don't have any new Twitter follows because we went through all of them last Okay. Night. Well, go to makearsmarvel.com and click on the Twitter link. See? It all comes back. Um, um, and then you can follow us. And then next week, John, will thank you for following us. So that'd be good. Actually, I, I say that, and I think I did stop halfway up the page. Oh, so he should. So let me just let's, go. let's get an example of that now. Then, yeah, let's go see what I've got here. Our followers, all four hundred fifty-three of them. Oh wait, I'm only getting. Okay, there we go. Um, okay, we have it's me Ed at it's me Ed Ob dad husband heart surgery stuff retired army play too many video games and not enough running. Oh. <laughs> Sailor Bear Zodar at Zodar Zone. Queer Polly, genderqueer, switch, trying to rock a kawaii style. Any pronouns will do. Likes art, cosplay, comics, latex, and Transformers. Terribly shy. I do believe that they um, started following some of my stuff because of the Transformers awesome. show, but uh, I followed them back. They do some cool stuff on mm-hmm. Twitter. Uh, Sanctum Pim Torum at Pim Torum. That's Pim is in PYM. I like that name. Husband, father, comic shop jockey. Herman at Herm 316, JW Green 4, podcaster on my box, at Hero Talk Show, self published author, fan of comics, comic book movies, and TV shows from the Bronx. Thank you for following us, JW. We have Philip at 2K Light Years Away, Iron Fisted Champion, Iron Willed. We have a, we don't use the, the, the F word on this show, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Jason Keen at Jason Keen 17, proud husband and father, he, him, keeping it positive, lover of comics, Disney, wrestling, Star Trek, and wars, and too many podcasts. Go Gators. That's a lot to like. Yeah, go Gators. Are you Jacksonville, Jason? Whoa. And finally, MD Salim, self-employment. So lots of follows we've gotten recently. Thank you very much for all the follows, Um, retweets, uh, mentions, all that good stuff in Twitter space or anywhere else that you uh, populate the internet is good, good stuff. So I can be found on, well, actually, what's the next thing? You did you want to do the website? Did you do the website? Um, I say go to makearsmarvel.com, but, you know. All right, that's a That's good. pretty much it. It's got all the stuff there. Check it out. It's there. It has pictures. Mm-hmm. And I can be found on Twitter at John Reads Comics. My Image Comics podcast can be found on Twitter at All the Pouches. My... Transformers podcast is on Twitter at TFUK podcast and I have a tweet blog about the Scarlet Witch called at Let's Talk Wanda so go follow some or all of that and that is our episode I do believe that's it alright so until next time or until Peter Parker is not allowed to graduate college cause he missed a PE credit make ours marvel marvel